We live in a world where the scales of justice often appear unbalanced. A world where the righteous cry for vindication, where the oppressed yearn for deliverance. We live in a world where good is called evil, and evil is cunningly adorned as good. We witness the guilty slipping through the cracks of accountability, whilst the cry of the innocent remain unheard. It's a world where the quest for justice seems lost amidst the chaos. Yet in the heart of this prevailing turmoil, a beacon of hope emerges. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 63, and he unveils a promise of divine justice, a promise of the avenging arm of Yahweh. On this final day of 2023, my prayer is that you and I would approach this new year with our hope fixed upon the return of Jesus Christ. For when He returns, He will usher in a world where right triumphs over wrong, where the oppressed will find solace, and where justice finally finds its rightful place. Today will be our second last sermon from the book of Isaiah. And we'll be spending our time in Isaiah 63. But I do want to remind you of the context and the flow of this book. As you know, the book is 66 chapters long. And you can divide this book in two parts. The first 39 chapters describe Yahweh's judgment whereas the final 27 chapters describes Yahweh's salvation. Isaiah delivers a twofold message. Israel, repent of your sin and trust and follow Yahweh. But knowing that Israel will not listen to his prophecy, his voice, and they will face the invasion and exile... Yahweh pronounces judgment, but at the same time, He also declares messages of hope. One day, God will send the promised one, the Messiah, who will provide salvation for sin, and who will then come and deliver them from their enemies. Yahweh will restore His people Israel. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, provided salvation for sin. The sins of all who would trust in Him, who would repent of their sins and turn to Him. And now we await the imminent return of Jesus Christ, when He will deliver His people from His and their enemies, where He will establish His kingdom here on this earth. The first six chapters of Isaiah are messages addressed, addressing really the, the social sins of Judah and their religious hypocrisy, carrying out religious rituals that are devoid from a right relationship with God. Isaiah 7 through 12, the prophet calls Judah to trust in Yahweh and to not place their trust in the enemy nations that seem so powerful. Don't place your trust in the the powerful Assyria. Trust in Yahweh. But Judah doesn't listen to Isaiah's message which cost them dearly. 
In Isaiah 13 through 23, we read about the oracles of judgment against the other nations. God judges the sins of all the nations, not just the sins of His covenant-breaking people, Israel. God will judge Babylon, chapter 13, Assyria and Philistia, chapter 14, Moab, chapter 15, Syria and Israel, chapter 17, Ethiopia, chapter 18, Egypt, chapters 19 and 20, Babylon is mentioned again in chapter 21, as well as Arabia and the wicked Edom, who we'll be seeing this morning, Jerusalem in chapter 22, and Tyre in chapter 23. This is the judgment of the nations. Whereas Isaiah 24 through 27 describes God's judgment on a global scale. His judgment of the world. Some have called this section, Isaiah 24 through 27, the apocalypse of Isaiah. Because it focuses on the worldwide triumph of God at the end of the age, the day of the Lord. These chapters describe God's judgment that is poured out upon the whole earth. No one will be exempt from the day of the Lord, for it will be a day of desolation, ruin for the whole earth. For the unsaved, it'll be horrific. But for the believer, this is what we've been waiting for. God judging evil, God bringing an end to the tyranny of the devil, and God blessing his people. Isaiah 28 through 35 focuses back on Judah and Israel, God's judgment on Israel and Judah, his people, emphasizing the folly of Israel's leaders in trusting Egypt as opposed to trusting in him. Chapter 34 focuses on God's judgment of Edom, a judgment which symbolizes the, the universal overthrow of evil. And then, of course, the establishment of Christ's kingdom on earth in Isaiah 35. Isaiah 36 through 39 closed the first half of the book of Isaiah. In these final four chapters, they describe really the demise of the once powerful, mighty nation of Assyria, but then the ominous rise of the next dominating empire, the mighty Babylon, who will eventually take Judah into exile. These 39 chapters, which largely focus upon Yahweh's judgment, they they, they serve as a backdrop for the restoration promises, the salvation promises that we read about in the second portion of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 66 this second half of the book. And in Isaiah 40 through 66, there are many events that are described, and these are future events, events such as Israel being restored to the land. And many of these events are future from the perspective of Isaiah's own time, such as the Babylonian exile, which was still 80 years or so ahead. And then, you know, from from the exile, there would be freedom. They would be in exile for 70 years And so about 150 years from Isaiah's own time. But there's also several events that are still yet to be fulfilled, even from our own time here today in 2023. Events which will only be fulfilled at the end of the age when Christ returns to establish His kingdom here on earth. The second half of Isaiah describes three aspects of salvation. 
In Isaiah 40 through 48, Judah's salvation is described. Their salvation from Babylonian exile. Yahweh will raise up a Persian king, Cyrus. He did. He raised him up. That resulted in their release from Babylonian exile. Isaiah 49 through 57 describes the salvation that Yahweh will bring through his suffering servant. He provides salvation through his sacrifice on the cross, paying sin's penalty in full for all who would trust in him, all who would repent of their sin. And Christ accomplished that 2,000 years ago. And then the third and final salvation, which is described in in Isaiah 58 through 66, this is really the culmination of salvation, the, the culmination of God's plan of redemption, a glorious future in Christ's kingdom. This final section of the book provides one final invitation, one final invitation to repent and trust in Yahweh's salvation. In these last nine chapters of the book, we see that the faithful will enjoy the blessings of the new earth and the new heaven. But the faithless, they will be excluded and will face His just judgment. It's within this final section of the book that we find our passage, Isaiah 63. And so please join me in Isaiah 63, which vividly describes Yahweh's avenger, our hope for justice, in a world that is groaning for righteousness. Isaiah 63, reading verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah? This one who is majestic in his clothing, marching in the greatness of his power. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your clothing red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my clothes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger, and made them drunk in my wrath, and I brought down their lifeblood on the earth. So reads God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. In Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah prophesies two aspects of Yahweh's avenger so that you will trust God and long for His return. Two aspects of Yahweh's avenger so that you will trust God and long for His return. Despite the first half of the book of Isaiah being mainly focused on judgment, Yahweh interposes the passages of judgment with messages of hope, prophecies of hope, salvation through the promised child who we saw, and the restoration of both the redeemed remnant amongst the Gentiles and the Jews who will dwell with Christ in His kingdom. But these blessings will only come about 
through Yahweh's personal intervention. Firstly, as we celebrated this week, He intervened in human history by taking on flesh, by being born of a virgin, so that He could fulfill all righteousness through His perfect life, that He could provide atonement for His people through His sinless, selfless sacrifice on the cross. And of course, through His resurrection, He conquered death and sin and the evil one, providing eternal life for all who would place their faith in Him. However, Yahweh will once again intervene in a very personal way where He will return to this earth to destroy His enemies and then establish His kingdom here on this earth. 4,000 years ago, Yahweh told Abram in Genesis 12, verse 3, verses you, I will curse. This warning stands as part of Yahweh's unconditional promise. A promise that He made to Abraham. A promise which we know as the Abrahamic covenant. Well, Isaiah 63 is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. The future fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. Throughout Scripture, such as in the books of Joel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, even in the New Testament, in Matthew and Revelation, it is clear that there is going to be a time where there is a massive multi-nation attempt to destroy Israel. This will happen at the end of the age. The nations of the world are going to revolt against Israel. But Yahweh the Avenger will save His people. In Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah's, he prophesies about two aspects of Yahweh's avenger, so that you will trust God and that you will long for His return. The first aspect of Yahweh's avenger is the avenger's identity, which we see in verse 1. The avenger's identity. Verse 1 begins with a question, Who is this who comes from Edom? with garments of glowing colors from Bozrah, this one who is majestic in his clothing, marching in the greatness of his power. Answer, it is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. As I ask, who is this? Who is this that valiantly approaches Zion, valiantly approaches Jerusalem, coming from Edom, from Bozrah? Well, please turn to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34, where we see reference to both Edom and Bozra. In verse 1 of Isaiah 34, Isaiah invites the nations to come before God and hear their sentence of judgment. Because verse 2 says that the indignation of Yahweh is against the nations, and His wrath is against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction. He has given them over to slaughter. Their corpses will give off a repulsive stench. The mountains will be drenched with their blood. Verse 5, For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for, for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. 
And in case you're wondering whose sword, who is this that bears the sword, verse 6 says, the sword of Yahweh is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For Yahweh has a sacrifice in Bozra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Both Edom as well as her capital city, Bozra, are representative here of the nations. We see here a picture of absolute bloodshed. The nations are slaughtered by the sword of Yahweh, likened to an animal sacrifice, which was slain to atone for sin. This is the day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Yahweh comes to both judge and destroy the nations and to return and redeem His people Israel. Those who curse His people Israel will be cursed by Yahweh Himself. And His judgment is to reduce the nation of Edom, which again represents all the wicked nations, to reduce them to ashes. Verses 9 and 6, Its streams will be turned into pitch, and its dust into brimstone, and its land will become burning pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will go up forever. From generation to generation, it will be laid waste. None will pass through it forever and ever. Edom is likened to a land that has been destroyed by fire and brimstone, left in a state of a perpetual volcanic waste. Edom was located on the eastern edge of the Jordan Valley, just south of Moab. Bozra was the capital city of Edom. The Edomites were close relatives to Israel, but they had a long history of hostility against Israel. Their origin goes back to the days of the patriarchs. Edom was founded by Esau, the older twin brother of, jo of Jacob. Both of them born to Isaac and Rebekah, who we read about in Genesis 25. Before the twins were even born, God had prophetically informed Rebekah that the younger son, Jacob, would be the one who would have preeminence. He would be the one in the line of the Abrahamic covenant. Esau freely validated this prophecy by rejecting his own firstborn status selling it for a bowl of stew. Esau then goes and shows further contempt to both his parents as well as the Abrahamic covenant by marrying Canaanite women in Genesis 26. And really throughout history, Edom has been antagonistic to Israel. The Bible indicates that at the end of the age, they are once again going to show much hostility. A hostility that is going to cost them greatly. It is for this reason that God will soon send His servant to bring vengeance upon Edom and all the wicked nations represented by her, all the wicked nations that are oppressing His people Israel. So please turn back to Isaiah 63. Because Isaiah 63 picks up on this war scene. Verse 1, one is returning from having conquered and destroyed Edom. One wearing garments of glowing colors. 
one coming from Edom's capital city, Bozrah, one who is majestic in his clothing. And as we saw clearly in Isaiah 34, this one is none other than Yahweh himself. This is Yahweh's Messiah. What is his name? Jesus Christ, the great warrior king, Yahweh's avenger. This is the avenger's identity. At the end of verse 1, the Messiah himself speaks, It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Not only is Yahweh's avenger a great, powerful warrior, but he is also righteous and mighty to save. Yes, His wrath against the wicked is just and right, but His grace towards His people is His mercy. It is His faithfulness to the Abrahamic covenant. This is the prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ, when He will return to this earth after the seven-year tribulation to defeat His enemies and the enemies of His people. This is the avenger's identity. King Jesus. The second aspect of Yahweh's avenger is the avenger's victory, which we read about in verses 2 through 5. The avenger's victory. Why is your clothing red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? Answer I've trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my clothes. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help, and I was astonished, and there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. And I brought down their lifeblood to the earth. The Messiah is covered in red that looks like he has been trampling grapes in a winepress. In Israel, the winepress was a regular fixture in society. For once the grapes were gathered, they would be trampled upon in the press in order for the grape juice to separate from the skins and filter through into the vats. But the red on Jesus' garments that appears like those that have been deeply stained with by treading on grapes. However, these red stains on His garments are not grape juice, but the blood of His enemies. Vengeance against the wicked must come, and it will be an absolute bloodbath. We see the same prophecy recorded in Revelation. Turn to Revelation 19 at the back of your Bible. Revelation 19. Revelation 19 verse 13. It says that, in verse 13, it says that he is clothed with a garment dipped in blood. His name is also called the Word of God. This is Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, who took on flesh. Verse 15 says, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the wrath of the rage of God, the Almighty. Every enemy of God must receive recompense, especially those who have sought the destruction of his people Israel. Please turn back to Isaiah 63. In Isaiah 63, we see three reasons why the servant must bring this vengeance. The first reason is because only he is qualified to bring such vengeance. He alone is qualified to bring such judgment in verse 3. Isaiah writes, I have trodden the wine trough alone. I have trodden the wine trough alone. And from the peoples, there was no man with me. The time for God's righteous judgment has come. And no one was there to help, neither from inside the nation nor from outside. He did this work alone. No other nation was employed to carry out his destructive plan. Earlier, we saw that God uses other nations as his rod of discipline. He used the nation of, Israel, of Assyria to discipline his people Israel. Later, he used the nation of Babylon to discipline his people Judah. But this time, he doesn't use another nation. He alone, he is the only one who is able to destroy evil from into the tyranny of the devil. Christ is the only one who can bring salvation to Israel. And Christ is the only one. He says, I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my clothes. Bloodbath, bloodshed. Now this doesn't mean that the apostate Israelites will be exempt from God's judgment. As Isaiah 59 verses 15 through 20 makes clear. But the emphasis is that these verses, this is God's judgment upon the nations who have oppressed His people, His remnant people. And the scene is graphic. Blood splattering all over His clothes, heads and bodies bursting like grapes as He continues to tread them in His anger and wrath. That is gruesome. What is it that leads Yahweh to act with such fury? Yahweh's, Yahweh's explanation continues in verses 4 through 6. In verse 4, we see the second reason why the servant must bring this vengeance. It's because he had a heart to avenge. He is the one who has the heart to avenge the evils done to his name and to his people. Thus we read, For the day of vengeance was in my heart. My year of redemption has come. Yahweh's quest for vengeance intertwines with His mission to bring redemption, salvation. Jesus Christ will bring His work of salvation to completion when He establishes His kingdom here on earth. But before then, He must destroy His enemies and redeem His people Israel. And this occurs at the close of the seven-year tribulation. The third reason why the servant must bring vengeance is because of his faithfulness. His faithfulness requires him to avenge. Verses 5 and 6. No one else can accomplish this task. The covenant faithfulness of the servant requires him to avenge his people. God himself will do this through great power by his arm. 
just as he promised Abraham and repeated that promise throughout the Old Testament. And notice how Yahweh's wrath is mentioned. It's mentioned in verse 3, verse 5, verse 6. Yes, salvation and redemption are important. But as you compare Isaiah 59, verse 16, with Isaiah 63, verse 5, there are notable similarities, but there's also differences. In both passages, Yahweh's arm is set out to save by himself, because no one else can be found to act. But there's a difference that's observed. Yahweh's righteousness upholds him in Isaiah 59, verse 16. But here, in Isaiah 63, verse 5, it's his wrath that upholds him. In the midst of this great slaughter, we also see God's grace to save. As mentioned in verse 1, verse 4, verse 5, it says, He is mighty to save. His year of redemption has come. His own arm has brought salvation. But the overwhelming emphasis of this pericope, these six verses in Isaiah 63, is on his wrath and slaughter, which is far more developed than in Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 20. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, Yahweh's garments emphasize salvation, where here in Isaiah 63, His garments emphasize the bloody, ju bloody judgment. Christ will fully satiate the wrath of God as He repays hatred and contempt to those who hate Him and hate His people. The imagery of making them drunk relates to the idea that God has given them much wine and they are drunk, they are incapable of self-defense, drunk, overwhelmed with His wrath. Christ's first coming was a bloody first coming, involving Him drinking the cup of his father's wrath as he shed his blood on the cross for you and I. The second coming will be the culmination of God's judgment and salvation, where the unrepentant will be trodden in the winepress of God's wrath. Jesus, the very Lamb of God, whose blood was shed for the salvation of the world, he is also the warrior king whose garments will be dipped with the blood of the wicked when he judges the nations in the press of God's wrath. To quote a, to quote a well-known pastor, a Christ-rejecting, gospel-spurning world leaves the Lord no other alternative but to send fearful and terrible destruction when the time of his long-suffering is past. Long-suffering is his patience has passed. We begin another year knowing that we still live in a world that is unjust, an upside-down world where good is regarded as evil and evil is celebrated and promoted as good. But the promise of divine justice in Isaiah 63 assures us that God sees And he will right all wrongs. Be encouraged to hold on to this truth in hope, knowing that even in the midst of chaos, God's justice will prevail in due time. 
Christ will triumph. Right will triumph over wrong. Justice will reign. The oppressed will find solace. When Christ returns, our yearning for justice in this world will finally be met. As you and I reflect upon the return of the avenger, Yahweh's avenger, this serves as a reminder that God will not be patient forever. Judgment is coming, and God's judgment will separate His redeemed from the faithless, those without faith. If you have not embraced Christ and His offer of salvation, do not ignore the urgency of repentance. Repent today and seek forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Friend, today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place once again rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and find forgiveness and grace in Him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as you and I live in a world that is still ruled by the prince of the power of the air, still ruled by Satan himself, who has darkened the minds of unbelievers, corrupted this world's systems, the philosophies and ideologies of this world, don't lose heart. For as sure as Christ's first coming is His second coming, He will return. And in the midst of suffering, entrust your life to God, knowing that He is faithful. He is trustworthy. His grace is sufficient to take you through whatever trial He deems fit for you to endure. He is indeed working all things for your good and for His glory faithful Christian, even though this world does not give the promise of justice, our God is a God of vengeance who will judge sin on that day, especially the sin of those who hate Him and His people. He will bring about justice, and He will reward His faithful, His faithful saints will be rewarded by Him here on His kingdom on earth and into heaven. Isaiah 63 tells us what this day of vengeance will look like. What a comfort it is to know that the wickedness which is destroying our world today will one day be judged. And thus we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts in reverence and adoration to you, our just, incredibly patient, and merciful King and Savior. Living in a wicked world that hates you and hates your people, oh, how we long for your return, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we stand on the threshold of a new year, we acknowledge the complexity of the world around us where justice often appears elusive, where evil disguises itself as good. Yet as we were reminded this morning, your word assures us of your sovereignty and your ultimate triumph of righteousness over darkness. Lord, we are humbled by the reminder that you are Yahweh, the avenger, the one who brings justice and vindication 
to the oppressed. Help us, O God, to live in light of these truths, holding on to hope in the midst of chaos, knowing that justice will prevail in your perfect timing. As we enter 2024, grant us the wisdom and the strength to align our lives with your will. May our hearts yearn for Christ's return where justice will reign and oppression will cease. Teach us, O God, to live in anticipation of that glorious day, serving faithfully and showing compassion to those in need. Lord, we ask for your grace and your guidance as we navigate the difficult days ahead. Help us to walk in your ways, seeking justice, loving, loving mercy, and walking humbly before you, our God. Grant us courage to stand firm in our faith, trusting in your promises, holding fast to your word. Lord, as we pray for the year ahead, we ask for your continued presence and blessing upon Livingstone Bible Church. Please pour out your Spirit upon us. Renew our hearts. Unify us, your people, in, in love and in purpose as we strive to bring glory to your name. We commit ourselves, our families, our church into your hands, trusting that you will lead us along the paths of righteousness. And may what we have learned this morning transform us to be faithful witnesses of your truth in a world that is so lost and in desperate need of your salvation. This we pray in the mighty and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen.